Hi there, welcome back to the Equipoise Podcast. We're in part 607 in our Vino or Volstead mini-series. I, um, I believe we've covered uh, so far the history of Christians and alcohol, the history of the abstinence movement and position. Um, I think we've uh, been able to show that although a balanced and fair case for abstinence can be made on a practical and pragmatic level uh, and preferential level, um, it, it's intellectual dishonesty to deny that Christians uh, for thousands of years have enjoyed alcohol recreationally and responsibly, viewing alcohol as a gift and a method of enhancing a social experience, even at church, <laughs> in the early church. Don't worry, I'm, I'm not about to introduce uh, alcohol to our uh, worship meetings. <clears throat> uh, in the end, though, in the end, we could build all the cases we want and look at all the church history we'd like and call each other heretics as much as we want. But what should be most important to Christians should be what the Bible says on the issue. So I'd like to spend this episode working through some scripture references that are often employed in this discussion. However, I'm running into the same wall of sorts that I ran into last week when trying to record this episode. There are just so many scriptures, um, and, and, and I, I, I'll be honest, I'm getting overwhelmed one way or the other. Either I go too quickly and don't cover them at the appropriate uh, lane, or I, I get bogged down and take too long. So the simple fact is, unless if I'm willing to do a whole bunch of more parts in this mini-series, I'm not going to work my way through these scriptures. Instead, what I think I'll do today is I'll cover a few by way of example, but I'm going to spend most of my time today just kind of showing how we can properly understand all of these scriptures instead of covering each one at length. So let's jump right in. I suppose the first and most important principle in this particular uh, area of discussion would be, what does the Bible actually say? Sometimes in our hurry to pick up the Bible and wield it as a weapon or, or drop the mic with it as, as opposed to submitting ourselves to its authority and teaching, we can read things into Bible verses that aren't really there. I think a good example might be some of what Paul says about alcohol in the New Testament. For instance, in Galatians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 5, Paul mentions alcohol. Um, I'll use Ephesians chapter 5 as a very specific example. And don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul isn't really trying to talk about alcohol here. He's using it as an example of something that's uh, opposed to spirit-filled behavior, etc. Um, but, but a lot of times, folks will grab Ephesians 5.18 and say, Aha! It just says it right there. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't drink wine. Well, now hold on. <laughs> Paul isn't speaking against alcohol consumption. He's speaking against drunkenness drunkenness. Uh, to wit, I've actually got a website pulled up in front of me with a webpage on it called 75 Reasons God is Against Alcohol. And in it, there's some very compelling verses uh, as to why God is against drunkenness. But not one verse in all 75 verses or reasons this gentleman states uh, prohibits the consumption of alcohol, period. <laughs> so I think that's the first principle we need to keep in mind is what does the Bible actually say? A lot of times we become so inundated, I almost said imbibed, but that might not be the best word to, to use in this context. <laughs> um, in an earlier take, I said, yeah, I'm just trying to hammer this out. And again, hammered isn't really <laughs> a verb I want to use now either. But anyway, so um, sometimes we're so inundated with our uh, denominational tradition or upbringing that we're so used to associating certain commands or a prohibition 
uh, with certain verses, right? Um, abstain from all appearance of evil. I think that's a great example. Uh, well, there you go. Don't don't walk down the beer aisle or go to movie theaters or, or go into that part of town. People might think you're up to no good. But that's not what that verse means. Uh, we talked about that in our episode, The Forbidden Isles, I think it was. So anyways, I suppose that's a, a, a fairly good principle for understanding all of these Bible verses about alcohol is what is it actually forbidding? Is it forbidding alcohol or is it forbidding drunkenness? And I think if we get that one straight, we'll get like 99% of these straightened out right off the bat. But there are some verses um, that still might seem to indicate that drinking alcohol is wrong. So here's where we might bring in another principle. We need to consider the literary genre and socio-historical background of the text uh, wherein the perceived prohibition is contained. In other words, is it Jesus saying, do not drink alcohol, which would be weird since he turned water into wine at the wedding of Cana, and people accused him of being a drunkard because they did see him drinking wine. Uh, anyway, but let's suppose he said that. Well, I think you could count that a pretty clear prohibition. Or is it a proverb? Uh, there's a couple of proverbs we can deal with. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Um, let's stick with that one for right now. That's one that says, look, wine's a mocker and strong drink is raging. Uh, that, at first glance, might look like a pretty blanket prohibition against the general consumption of all alcohol. But I beg you to keep in mind that this collection of proverbs is exactly that, a collection of proverbs. And in this collection of proverbs, uh, Solomon or another um, uh, proverb writer or sage uh, has used powerful language to conjure the dangers of alcohol to the reader's mind. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler or a contentious, raging person. Um, and it doesn't say whoever drinks it is not wise. It said whoever's deceived by it is not wise. In other words, wine mocks and strong drink rages by making fools of people who engage in it uh, lightly. Uh, how do I put this? It's like, uh, if, it's like if I were to challenge uh, Mike Tyson to a fight just because he's a little bit older than me, I'd say, oh, I can take him. No, I would be quickly finding myself face down on the mat. Uh, it is not uh, a wise decision to be deceived uh, by my own confidence, you see, um, and to charge into the ring without proper preparation or realistic expectations. And so this verse is written to those who say, ah, just one more, just one more. This person is also described in Proverbs chapter 23, uh, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contention, these sort of things. Um, people who are beaten up but don't feel pain, and then as soon as they wake up, they're going to chase another drink, right? Um, th this principle is similarly applied. This is not speaking to prohibit alcohol, rather it's a uh, powerful, potent, and profound warning uh, for those who would enjoy it not to get carried away. Now think of Paul's uh, counsel to Timothy. A lot of folks would use this to say, ha, alcohol is at best not wise. I don't like that position either because it, it's, again, a little bit too broad and not enough nuance. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 3, pastors uh, not given to wine, deacons not given to much wine. Uh, what does it mean to be given to wine? Well, given to wine comes from the Greek word para oinos, um, and that means to be around wine all the time, uh, to be a wino, we would say. So yes, pastors should not be winos. <laughs> Why? They're pastors, you know. Um, they're to be they're to be on call, just like the deacons were. That's why they're mentioned too. Um, they're to be on call. They're to be ready to teach. 
uh, ready to give an answer to every man, right? You see the idea? So to live one's life uh, ready to chase the bottle as soon as the sermon's over is not a wise position in which a pastor should find himself. And the same thing for kings. Um, again, I'm not trying to go through a big list. I'm just trying to mention a few principles. Same thing for kings, Proverbs 31. Lemuel's mom is basically uh, writing him a letter saying, listen, there's going to be two things that are going to mess up your kingdom, booze and women, right? Very straightforward, booze and women. Um, and, uh, oh, by the way, this also links back to why in Leviticus 10, high priests weren't supposed to be drinking when when they ministered, right? When you go into the tent of meeting, when you go into the tabernacle, drink no wine or strong drink. Uh, because basically, God doesn't want you buzzed when you're about to do something <laughs> that's going to affect somebody else's life, right? Anyways, back to Proverbs 31, she says, it's not for kings to drink wine or princes strong drink, lest you drink. We always forget this next verse. Lest you drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. She said, save, save the alcohol for people that are ready to perish and the, save the wine for those who are of heavy hearts. So it's pretty clear that Lemuel's mom is not a prohibitionist. <laughs> she, she's actually saying, hey, if you're about to die, if you're really depressed, let them drink. But that's not for people who are making judgment calls that are going to affect somebody else's life. So there's real wisdom there. That's what Proverbs is all about anyways. Um, anyways, I guess really, really, really quick. Lastly, um, a lot of times prohibition of wine is mentioned in the Bible is for particular groups, like in number 6-3. That's for the Nazarites. When they took their vows, they were to abstain from strong drink. That means that unless they were taking the Nazarite vow, it was fully expected that they wouldn't be engaging in wine and strong drink. So a lot of these verses that people use to build a case for prohibition only actually can be used even better to build a case for the regular common consumption of wine in moderation. All right, that's it. Time's up. I'm tired of doing this thing over and over. So I think this will have to do. Until next time, stay balanced.